Welcome to the Debo Unfiltered Podcast. We are your hosts, our Mary, Dr. Nafi, and Anafai Bodnar. We are here to engage, educate, and hopefully empower you. Today's episode is going to be a part two of our infertility challenges topic. We have with us a special guest called Saini Sise, who is the founder of Safe Haven Foundation in the Gambia. So Saini, I'm going to pass it on to you to please do an introduction of yourself because I feel like I'm not going to do it justice. So please let the people know who you are and what your foundation is about. Okay. Hello, everyone. My name is Saini Msise. I am the founder and CEO of Safe Heaven Foundation. Um, what we do in Safe Heaven is we raise awareness on infertility and also fight the stigma that's associated with infertility. Um, we were established in 2017, and since then, yeah, um, we've been working um, on different projects to raise awareness on infertility and, you know, fight the stigma um, that's associated with it. We all know that we live in a Gambia where... Um, when couples um, are going through infertility, it's always shifts to the woman. The woman is always blamed. So we try to fight um, all that when we when we raise awareness. As we go on, I will explain more about um, our foundation and what we do. Thank you so much, Saini, and welcome to the Devil Unfiltered podcast. It is amazing to have you here. Uh, first thing we're going to do is just jump into asking your journey and what has been your experience with infertility. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, <clears throat> I got married in 2015, and a year later, I started asking questions because... Um, I wasn't conceiving. So um, I talked to my then husband about it, but you know, um, Gambian men, um, they don't really, um, they don't really talk about um, infertility stuff. So I tried to push the conversation a couple of times, but um, the first response I got was, um, okay, I am not the problem. Maybe you go check yourself, but I am not the problem. So, um, which was um, a, a blow to me though. But um, I, I, I just let it go and went to see the doctor myself because he wasn't willing to go. So I, I went to see the doctor, went to a couple of doctors. I went to Dr. Firaz, went to Dr. Matthew, different hospitals. Um, and they later concluded that, that I should bring my spouse in. So I tried to convince him again. And then he said, no, um, he wasn't going because he's not the problem. They were not finding any issues with me because um, I, I, I started going weekly to do um, um, the transvaginal ultrasound, um, to do diff- different, different tests, but nothing was coming up as to what the problem was. And my ovulation mm-hmm. was also um, being monitored. Um, my cycle was also being monitored by my doctor. So, um, and they would give me Clomid. I would be on Clomid for... Um, different cycles, but it was still not happening. So I decided to um, travel to Dakar um, at Clinic Madeleine. It's one of the um, biggest clinics in Dakar to do um, some fertility tests, which I did. Um, I also went on a um, monitored um, cycle. Two months, yeah, two months, for two months, my cycle was being monitored and they were um, giving me pregnant. Um, it's 
it's it's the hormone. It helps your hormone um your hormones and help your eggs grow and mature for um for ovulation to to occur. So I did all that, but still um nothing was happening. <laughs> Frustrating, right? I wasn't knowing what what's going on um what was going on with me. And I also didn't have the support because the only time I would talk about it with my husband, I was the only one who would come up with the conversation, but um, it wouldn't go anywhere because like the zeal to talk about it wasn't there. So yeah, the zeal to talk about it wasn't there. And I just also said to myself, you know what? Um, since I'm not getting the help that I need from my spouse, I'll try, mm-hmm. uh, try more to see what's going to happen. If it happens, fine. If it doesn't happen, if it doesn't happen, that's fine too. Yeah. Um, I continued going to see doctors, but it was pointless because um, it's called uh, what I have is unexplained infertility. You know, um, they they couldn't find anything. So I continued, but I later said to myself, I'm gonna let my body um, you know, go with the flow because I think I have been taking too much of hormone hormonal therapy you know too much of supplements and stuff like that yeah so um i decided to take a rest you know and just go with the flow (laughs) and i'm still here not married anymore though (laughs) wow wow that's a lot um yeah like i i was gonna say i mean like this is, you know, it's one of those stories where, like you said, it's unexplained infertility. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure a lot of women go through it, especially in our communities here in the Gambia. Yeah. Where, I mean, I think you've you've done really a lot of work because I don't think most women would even go that far of, you know, going for um, getting, you know, hormonal therapies and all those other things, checking with doctors and so on and so forth. So you know, with, with, with somebody, let's say somebody is just starting out and just got married and um, has gone through pretty much like, you know, I've tried maybe for a year or over six months, nothing happened. What advice can you put? Like, what is their next step that they should be doing? You know, who should they see? Like, or recommend doctors? Like, you know, exactly what you explained, you did this and so on. But can you just give more in detail, like, you know, do this, then check this and then do that. And if you have a supportive husband, maybe your spouse will do X, Y, Z. So just kind of educate more um, on that, on that um, subject. And then we'll go a little bit more in depth with, you know, how your spouse and the supportive um, nature may be that you received or not. Um, okay. Um, I, I receive a lot of um, young women, especially who are um, married and they're still trying to conceive. Um, you know, we, we have a lot to educate our people. Um, most women are not, are not getting pregnant because they simply don't know how to calculate their ovulation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's number one, which is really important. If you miss your fertile days, then, um, you've missed your chances of, um, conceiving. Um, number two, um, I took my time to visit, uh, different clinics, and to also take stock of um, the machines that they have, you know, and compare them. So I can tell you, um, let's say, um, if you need to do a transvaginal ultrasound, I can tell you, go to um, Shara because they have the, the best machine. If you need to do another kind of test, I can tell you, go to this clinic. 
they they do it best. So I I also do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whenever they contact me, um, I also advise them on um, first of all, how to I I I explain to them how they should um calculate their ovulation. Yeah, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. advise them on which doctor to see to do, you know, fertility test, and um, if they've done that and the transvaginal ultrasound, like I said, I, I advise them to go to the proper clinic. Like I have, <laughs> sorry, various clinics that um, that I have chosen for different things. Mm-hmm. If they need to do um, the HSG, the HSG, it's mm-hmm. on um, the, the hospital, um, Edward Francis Small Hospital. Mm-hmm. They have the they have the right machine for the HSG. So I. Um, we have an open door policy. I, I see people at home. I see people in at my office anywhere. So I'm always available to help. And I'm always available to talk to them. You know, try to calm them down. Because um, infertility comes with depression, you know. You're mm-hmm. always depressed all the time. So mm-hmm. sometimes you might um, want to talk to someone. And I am always open to do that. Like um, the other day, I had a call from this lady. Very heartbreaking. Um, she had a... Um, an altercation with her uh, sister-in-law. Mm-hmm. And then she told her that, you, um, can I say it in Wolof? Yeah, yeah, for sure. She, she, she told her that, you, you, because you know how powerful mm-hmm. that is? Like, she was so down, she was so depressed that she was constantly crying. And you know those things they don't help, especially when mm. you're trying to conceive. You know, when when nothing is wrong with you, but you're stressed, it's hard to conceive. Not to talk mm-hmm. of when there's something wrong with you, and then people keep stressing you out. So it's really, really, really stressful. And I want to emphasize also on the um uh what is it called again? The folic acid. It doesn't mm-hmm. make you conceive, but as as long as you got married, you should mm-hmm. start taking folic acid because um doctors advise a lot to take folic, folic acid and if you have um, um prenatal vitamins we don't have it here but um malak chemists they do sell it prenatal vitamins you can mm-hmm. go to malak and, and and buy it or you can go to stop step pharmacy and and, and buy it they're very mm-hmm. um very good for you when you're trying to conceive okay yeah. so those, I, I those are all really great advice I, yes yeah yeah <laughs> Oh, I'll, I'll, thank you so I'll have much. Nafi ask the next question because for me, I just wanted to hear like the story with your husband a little bit more, and then your in-laws. But I'm sure Nafi can can dwell on that. <laughs> okay. Right. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I mean, it's just so heartbreaking that I'm sitting here, I'm listening to your story, and just the lack of support that you have. And the, the thing is. We talked about this on our first episode uh, or like uh, part one, which is that sometimes uh, the, the, um, in a fertility, it could be a male factor, right? 25 or 30% of the time, it's a male factor. And then 20 to 25% of the time, it's a female factor, right? Yeah. So, so, and then there are times when it's just called unexplained infertility, meaning there's nothing wrong that you just didn't get pregnant, right? Yeah. And, and you fall under that category where there's nothing wrong with you physically, right? Mm-hmm. Now, what would have 
interesting would be to have, you know, your husband go with you and get checked as well. Because the infertility journey, it is not a one-sided journey. And unfortunately, in our culture, we make it seem that way, that it is always the woman's fault. When obviously the numbers I just read clearly shows it is not always the woman's fault. Actually, it's the same amount of, 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 of factor, whether it's a male factor and female factor, it's the same amount. So it cannot be just one-sided, right? Yeah, it's, it's, and so had he come and get checked, forget about even having himself get checked, but just having your partner there emotionally giving you support, right? Goes a long way because you will have a lot of backlash and a lot of, you know, uh, taunting from the outside world. So you definitely don't need that from inside your home. And, and the fact that you lack that, I mean, it just breaks my heart that you have to go through this journey by yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get your point. And, uh, I get your point. I'm going to, uh, let me explain something. Um, when, when the doctor prescribed um, for me to go and get, do the HSG, yeah? Mm-hmm. I went, I went to do it, not knowing that um, you need to take um, like pain medication before doing it because it can be very, um, mm-hmm. very painful. So um, mm-hmm. I did it and it affected me a lot. Like I could not work. I could not do anything. You know, I had no one to support me. Um, I kept on crying and sweating, sitting on the floor at the hospital <laughs> And no one was there for, for the support. And, you know, it broke my heart that day. I um, I cried. I cried because, um, to me, I don't think it's right for for that to happen when my spouse was, wasn't there and he knew what, what, what I was going for. So it was so heartbreaking. Right. And, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one who went through that. And I'm sure a lot of women mm-hmm. are going through it. Like, the support is not there. Mm-hmm. The support is not really there. And it should be there because... Um, it's a joint responsibility, you know. When you're trying to conceive, it's not one-sided, like you said. So yeah, the support is really needed. Wow. Mm-hmm. Because culturally, I think what it is is that um, we put the onus on the woman automatically. Mm-hmm. You're the one who came to get to, you know. You're the one who was brought in. You're the married one. You know, having a child, we put all of that responsibility on the woman when again it's 50 50 half of the time it's the guy factor half of the time it's the woman factor and so you know it's it's and and the same thing goes for when you know it's a similar um uh thing that they do also for example if a woman if, if a woman has like daughters like all girls Again, people taunt her. Like in my family, I'm going to get a little personal here. In my family, my mom has five girls. And my mom has heard so much shit from my dad's side of the family about why she has all girls and how she, she didn't have boys. Right? <laughs> it's crazy. And, and this mentality that we have, that we need to shame women into saying, why don't you have children? Why are you only having daughters? And my mom... Well, unlucky for them, my mom was pretty educated. So my mom gave, went back and told them, let me give you a quick education lesson here in case you didn't know. The sex of the baby is determined by the man. So why don't you all go talk, and talk, go talk to your brother about that? 
I have nothing to do with that. But people don't know this, right? People don't know this. They're very, we're very ignorant at some of these things. And that we always point to the woman and we always, you know, accuse the woman that you're the one who's not doing your job. Why are you not the one having the child? And there's already a lot of psychological stress attached to that. And so when you said that um, one of your um, uh, people that called you um, told you that her sister-in-law is telling her that even a refrigerator is more beneficial than she is because she hasn't had a child, give me a break. Are you kidding me? We need to stop shaming women about infertility. You know, whether it's in private or in public, just like we talked about last time, where when you see people on the street, we take it upon us to say to them, when are you going to have a kid? Why are you waiting so long? When we don't realize that sometimes when you say those things, right, you're publicly, number one, shaming the person about something that is really personal. And number two, that person could have just had a miscarriage a week ago, and you don't know that. So when, when we need to be more sensitive about how we approach these things and what we say, but culturally, we just think it's okay. We can just get in people's personal lives like that, you know? And I'm just, my mind is blown right now about just how you had to go through this silently on your own when you had a partner. And it's very interesting because our guest that we had last week, Sister Jai she had a completely different experience than what you did. She is saying that her husband is very supportive. They talk about it and um, her family is understanding. But as we, we, you know, as we got into the conversation, you know, you know, in my mind, I'm saying that Sister Njai is a rarity in Gambia. Most women don't have what she has. Most women have similar experiences as yours, where they're not supported by their in-laws, they're not supported by their spouse, and they're silently suffering, you know, a lot of emotional stress. So, wow. I'm going to give it to Anna just so she can touch up a little bit about this, and then I'm sure we'll ask you more questions. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Nafi. Um, Saini, thank you so much for being so open and sharing your journey and it really is heartbreaking to hear that um, your journey to conceive really sounds like you were in it by yourself. So I'm wondering, my question for you is, since you didn't have the support of your husband and you were going on all these um, doctor's appointments to all these clinics, you were going through all the therapies on your own, how did that affect the relationship? Did you even feel like you wanted to get intimate with him to try to conceive a child in a marriage where you were the only one putting the effort to conceive and to find out why you guys weren't getting pregnant. And he was just hands off, like, it's not me. It has to be you. How did that affect the relationship? Did the relationship strengthen? Did it get weaker? And how did you guys cope? What happened? Um, I'm going to be honest. Um, my mind was too focused on having a child because the um I really wanted to have a child. So um mm-hmm. it would it hurt me that he wasn't there 
but mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to miss the chance of conceiving that month. You understand what I mean? So mm-hmm. whenever mm-hmm. my ovulation is coming, whether I am angry or not, whether I like it or not, because my mind was bent on having a child, I would be the one um, initiating the sex. Mm-hmm. Whether I like it or not, like I said, whether I am mad at him or not, I would initiate because all I saw was conceiving. So apart from that, it really, um, it really um, affected our relationship because when I look at him, I feel that, okay, is this the guy that I married? You understand? I would have questions. What if he was in my shoes? I would have been there for him. You understand? I would go... Let me tell you one thing. Whenever he was sick or had a toothache, let me tell you, I I would be the one taking him to the hospital, you know? Hmm. I would take him to the hospital. But I was going through this and it was the other way around. So I would always look at him whenever he's not looking at me and ask questions. But why is... Why is this happening? Why is he doing this? Is he ashamed to talk about it? Or then I would ask him again. I okay, what is the problem? Are you ashamed to talk about this? Or are you ashamed to be seen at the fertility clinic or what? And the response I will get is, you know, I don't have the problem. Try and sort it out. Try and <laughs> I am laughing, wow. but it's not funny. <laughs> try and um wow. yeah, try and um and um, do what you need to do for it to work because I know I am not the problem. I have a son. And I would be like, it doesn't matter. There is is what we call secondary infertility. It doesn't matter. You can Mm -hmm. have a child today and not have another one for the rest of your life. You can have a child today Mm -hmm. and have have a problem with your testicles or whatever. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. But it... Wow. It went anyway. It, it nothing happened, so the support wasn't there. So I had to, I had to do it alone. But yeah, it affected our relationship a bit. But like mm-hmm. I said, um, I didn't let it affect um, my chances of conceiving. I, I don't know if you get what I mean. Yes, thank you so much for explaining that, Thaney. It makes sense because what I'm hearing you say, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that you were so focused on conceiving, you were so determined to have a baby that you didn't even mind that the relationship was clearly damaged, the relationship was failing, that you didn't have a supportive husband, but you just wanted to have a baby. So Mm -hmm. even while you were hurt, even when you felt like he wasn't supportive, you still would put your feelings in a box and say, it's time for me to, it's my ovulation days, so we got to get it in because I'm trying to get this baby. Yes. So you were so focused on that. But then my follow-up question to you is that while you were dating, was your husband someone who was kind and loving and supportive? Then you got married and he changed? Um, no, he is, a, he is a nice person. Even though we're not together anymore, I'm going to say, um, speak the truth about him. Yeah? Um, mm-hmm. He was a very nice person. And the only problem we had was talking about what I was going through and him supporting me when it comes to um, my fertility issues. Apart from that... Um, 
I wouldn't say that he um I wouldn't say that he changed. No, he was the same when we um when we were dating. The only thing that changed was um it later became um an abusive relationship. Yeah? The relationship mm-hmm. later became very abusive. I don't know if it was the stress or um or that that part of him he he hide it from me. You know, I I wouldn't want to mm-hmm. tell you. And I myself, I blame myself for staying so long because um um I advocate for women's rights. You understand? Um, I stand up for women, but I stayed in a in an abusive relationship, and I can I cannot I still cannot tell you why I stayed. I still cannot tell you why I stayed, probably because I was bent on having a child that I will try and make this work and you know um one day I, I i thought about it i said to myself i am going to the very day i have my baby because i wouldn't want to raise my child in this kind of relationship this kind of home so um yeah it was all um i think i was i was blinded by by um by having a child yeah trying to have a child yeah that's why I took all in all, all of that BS. But the normal me, mm-hmm. the normal me, knowing myself, I wouldn't condone that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I did. <laughs> Dr. Nafi, if you allow me to just ask one more follow-up question, just for sure. clarity, um, just for clarity for our audience, when you say that later on the relationship became abusive, are you talking about emotional and psychological abuse or are you also talking about physical abuse? Emotional, psychological, and physical abuse. Oh. He once, yeah. oh. <laughs> I can remember, vividly remember, um, we once had a fight and he, he said, you, um, what he said, you are barren. You know? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Thinking you know, thinking about those things, as I think about it right now, it makes me um it makes me angry at myself because I um it's not okay to to be in the kind of relationship where you are always um stamped on. It's not okay. Mm-hmm. But I still stayed, like I said. It later got um physical. You know, anything abusive, um, we went to that level. Ooh, it, um, I'm, I know, I'm I know. So sorry. I know. I'm so sorry to hear that um, it got to the point where not only was it emotionally and psychologically abusive, but it was also physically abusive. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes I know when we go through hard times, we don't realize that God is setting us up for what we're meant to do because today Mm -hmm. as the founder of Safe Haven Gambia, you're helping so many women to find their Mm -hmm. voice because you you went through such a traumatic experience with trying to conceive. And I know that Mm -hmm. your your foundation says that your vision is to seek to change the lives of women, Mm -hmm. finding it hard to conceive and sustain full-term pregnancies. And having gone through that difficult time and now being a pillar of hope for women in the community. I applaud you. And I know you, you are remembering some of these stories and you're laughing, but thank God you came through. Mm-hmm. And today you're mm-hmm. able to share your story and even find a little bit of humor in it. 
because you survive. So thank you so much for sharing. Dr. Nafi, I'll, I'll pass it on to you for further questions. I'm just in awe of your strength because, and your composure. And, 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 and just so that our audience also understand, sometimes when people are talking about something painful and something that is stressful, they laugh. And that's just a way of dealing with stress. And that's quite normal. I've seen a lot of patients who are talking about, you know, rapes and stuff like that, that has happened to them. And they smile or they laugh. And that's just, it doesn't mean it's funny. So I want, I, I know when, when I hear you laughing, I know exactly why you're laughing because you're not laughing because it's funny, but you're laughing because sometimes it's a coping mechanism when we talk about things that are very different. Exactly. But I use, and, I, I laugh too to calm myself down. I love to not break down, you know. Yeah, yeah. I use it as, it's as just a mechanism. <laughs> yeah, it's a coping mechanism. That's what it is. And um, for me, I mean, and I know this is hard because in our community, we've talked about uh, domestic abuse here on, on our, on our uh, platform before. And the thing is, for us as, as, as Gambian women, we, we like to hide things. We like to make it look like our homes are just fantastic and fabulous. There's nothing going on here. So when somebody speaks of their journey and their issues, I want us to take a moment and think about it and put ourselves in that woman's position as opposed to looking for ammunition in her story to later make fun of her or later say, you know, you know because that's what we do, yeah. right? And so I want to really, I'm, I'm glad that you shared your story because it is going to help other women. And, and the fact that you, a woman who advocates for other women, was willing to take abuse herself, it just shows that we're all, after all the stuff we do outside, at the end of the day, we're just human beings too, just like everybody else. Right. And we also have, you know, pressures that are put on us. You are focused on having a child. And another reason why I believe psychologically you stayed and endured all this stuff is you were hoping, you know, come hell or high water, you wanted to prove people wrong. And so it meant that, listen, I'm going to have to take all the shit this guy is giving me. As long as I have a child, I can walk out of here with my head hell high. But I'm telling you, you don't need to have a child to hold your head up high like that, right? And, and I'm sorry to say this, but especially with that douchebag, you don't deserve, he doesn't deserve you to have a child with him. And I know in our culture, we always don't want to say bad things about these men, you know, and so we say they're good people. I'm sorry, Sani, he is not a good person because a good man, a, you, you wouldn't say it, but I will, a good man let his woman go through this alone absolutely a good man will not psychologically and emotionally and physically use this against her and make her feel like shit that is not a good man absolutely. so sometimes we like to justify why people do the things they do if your uncle for example let's say an uncle rapes a, 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 a niece right but we still want to put him as oh well he's a good man he goes to juma we don't give a shit if he goes to Juma, okay? A good man will not do that to a woman. Mm -hmm. 
I don't think that I don't think that he was. Even though you said that he's a good man, I am here saying that he was not, mm-hmm. and that you are better off to not have had a child with that man. You know, sometimes I swear we don't see the blessings in the way that our lives, tra- you know, transpire. Absolutely, you didn't have not having a child was the biggest blessing you with this man. That was the biggest blessing God could have given. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. in my opinion, I think that was the biggest blessing God could have given you because imagine if you had a child with this man and you had to be stuck with him and stay in to make it work. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, oh, that's just, it just, I, I'm glad that you walked away and don't, don't beat yourself over the fact that you did, you took it all time out of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, every- is everything okay? No, I hear the it's baby. Outside. It's not, um, it's outside. It's not the baby. I'm at uh, someone's house trying to use the, um, the Wi Fi because your, Uh-oh. your, um, I see. your nephew decided to break the Wi Fi at home. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, oh that's so cute. Sana is so cute. But I'm just I'm glad we're having this and and I just I want mm-hmm. you to see it as a blessing. Don't ever see yourself not having a child with mm-hmm. that man as a shortcoming of your own. That was a blessing that God had done for you because you would have been in a different situation had you had a child with that man. You would have tried to justify staying like multiples of women do to make it yeah. work right and so and 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 you know better late than never so it took you a little bit a couple of years so what there are still women who have been who are in abusive relationships all their lives and they haven't gotten the yeah, strength to get out and and right? you know what i didn't get out i <laughs> sorry i'm still laughing um right i did not get out on my own um okay um in December last twenty um yeah twenty nineteen, I was um in my living room watching TV. Yeah, and I I was called to my um my my mother in law's house. So I went thinking mm-hmm. that she needed me to do something for her. I went in and saw some elders sitting down, and yeah, they took, they asked me to sit. I sat and then they said, we just want to inform you that your husband married another wife today. And I was like, oh, really? They said, yes. And I was like, but how come he did not tell me? Let me tell you, Nafi, that morning, that morning, we woke up. Yeah. We, um, we made love on the bed <laughs> that day that he was going to get married. I will never forever, forever forget that day. We made love and then he went out. He came back home around 1 p.m. And then something just, you know, I felt something. When he was leaving the house again, I felt something. He went all the way to the gate. I called him back. He came back and I told him, where are you going? He said, oh, no, I'm just coming. I'm coming. I'm just going to um, drop something. And I was like, okay, no problem. And he went. I didn't know that he has um, entered another 
house, bought clothes like <laughs> took some of his clothes from 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 my house to to that place. Everything was ready. I didn't know. I there was no sign. I it baffled me. So when they told me that he he married wow. this afternoon, I was like, oh really? Okay. Um, I told them I will assure you one thing. The only thing that another woman would come to this house and do more than me is um um have a child. But apart from that, there is nothing mm -hmm. that a woman can do for this guy that I haven't done. So I'm gonna leave everything in God's hands. Thank you for telling me. And I uh, I got up and went to my um to my house. That night was the worst night of my life ever. The longest night of my life. Because I could not understand. Like, um, I could not digest the fact that he would do something like that. With after all we shared, especially that day, that morning. Him knowing that he was going to do something that would really hurt me. And he was comfortable with, you know, leading me on. I could not. I, I just could not. Um, I was so dumbfounded. I was. I was broken. Yeah, I was broken. And the fact that I would have stayed. Um, and risk my chances of conceiving if he was the problem. And risk my chances of never having a child if he was the problem. I would have done it for him. So why is he doing this to me? Then this guy has never loved me. He never had good intentions for me. Mm. To me, that's what I will say. That was when the depression started kicking in. But um, I said, um, okay, we are Muslims. He's entitled to have four wives, like the um, like they say. I will try and see if I can continue. If I don't, then that's fine. Move forward to um August. I was still dealing with depression. The only good thing that was keeping me going was my son. That was the only mm -hmm. thing, because I adopted my son um two months after he um, he got married, even though the process was we, I started the process um, in like um, six months before, but I got my son um, two months after he he got married. So my son was the only thing keep, that kept me going because I knew he needed me and I cannot afford to disappoint him. No. So I kept going, but I was still going through depression. I was still um, I was not okay. So fast forward to August, over um like a little misunderstanding, <laughs> this guy just um sent his brother to my my dad's house, and then serving my devil. <laughs> I was yeah, I was um sitting with my um my mother-in-law who knew that um the divorce letter has gone to my dad's house but decided not to tell me all of a sudden hmm. my uncle came my uncle my uncle hey. came with his wife and then they called me inside i went in 
my uncle started talking, but I just said to him, did he take a divorce letter to the house? And and he was like, yeah, that is what I came to give you. I was like, oh, okay, that's fine. Then I don't have to stay in this house in the, not even 10 minutes because yeah, um, it's done, it's done. So I don't need to, and it, it cannot be nice anymore because the way it has been done, I, I don't think um, the, um, the politeness or the politeness, the yellowness or, or whatever, because everyone in the house knew that the letter was going to my house. So these people have been fighting me. These people have been fighting me. If they were cool, they were on my side. After all I have done to please them, at least someone would have come to me to tell me, okay, this is going to happen. Don't, in fact, I wouldn't tell anyone, but you know, coming to tell me would mean a lot to me so that I would prepare myself. Because that was a, that was a huge blow mm-hmm. on me. That was a really huge blow on me, but I I took it in, in good faith, even though we went through an, the nastiest divorce, because I then was also, um, I said to myself, you know what, I am, um, in Islam, they said, if you, if you are served a divorce, a divorce letter, um, everything in the house is mm-hmm. yours. Yeah, Hell everything yeah. in the house is yours. So I, I went, I sent for the truck, I sent for a truck. Um, the truck came and I started packing the stuff. I didn't need the stuff. I don't need the stuff because going to my father's house, if you go to my father's house, mm-hmm. you would know that I don't lack anything. Yeah, but I just mm-hmm. wanted to do it that way. So as I was packing, um, mm-hmm. someone in the house called him to come. Um, he came. Um, and we had an altercation. These things are not going. Those things are going. I am taking them. You are not taking them. All of a sudden, my dad called, and he was like, "What's all that um noise?" And my uncle told him what I was doing. Mm-hmm. My um, my father said, "Don't bring even the, the the smallest spoon in that house. Don't bring it to my house because you don't need it. Leave everything there. Take your things and come back." So I was going to do that. I listened to my father, and then I said um, to the truck driver, um, "Pull the, bring the um, the stuff down." So another problem came. He said I wouldn't get in the house to pack my stuff. They would be the one packing it for me. <laughs> like I am not gonna get in the house to pack it. <laughs> uh, my dad, uh, my dad called again. Then they told him what's going on. He said, "Leave the stuff. Come back to the house." I don't want you to be there fighting for them to think that, you know, um, you are the desperate or whatever. Leave everything there. Come back to the house. We will find a, find a way to, um, to bring the stuff. But I couldn't let that happen. I went back to the house. The next morning, woke up 6 o'clock in the morning. I knew that. Um, then my cousin called mm-hmm. me. She's a lawyer. She, uh, she was a lawyer. She said to me, um, tomorrow morning, I will come and get you. And then we go to the police, pick some police people, and then we go to the house and um, pack your stuff. I was like, okay. So we did it that way. Because she knew that if I had gone alone, 
he would have um yeah he he would have either beaten me up or um injured me so we went mm-hmm. to get the police and then went to the house we we got to the house around 7 a.m. guess what he went and um hired two um two bodyguards two two guys to um to come and pack my stuff including his mom and himself so we opened the door and then um went inside i greeted them and and said to the mom i came to pack my stuff she said that's what they are packing right now i said to her no one no one has the right to pack my stuff my stuff are my private private things no one has the right to pack it the police um then the police officer said no one has the right to pack her stuff she is the only one who should pack her stuff so that was when um they allowed me to pack my stuff and then went back to my father's house <laughs> yeah so that was how it ended wow i stayed until i was packed out of the house because i was that desperate to have a child wow yeah <sighs> I might be talking out of term, but yo, gurgi dugor, ki dugor. First of all, first of all, the fact that Nim Dohale, the independent Jigian, Sisin Bir Sebi, yo, Yigalulako, yo, Subabiki, the Dempurtaka, Tida, Tido, yo, Sister Kolal, make love to you as your husband. you as his wife only to walk out of your home and go and actually marry another woman without communicating to you it showed lack of integrity in this man no it's Gabana okay man, thank you but what you are explaining right now is a man who has no integrity no morals talibu gorgi ki du gor dereti gor neko di daw siara mamdi be pare yow muy niro ngaro ak yow pour sa bagasse ne ka sa bir kergi pour nga gene ko yobu ka sa ker ko mune lolu la hecho i hear your dad because your dad is coming from the space of he's a prideful man and you don't need anything but i also get your point in saying these are my personal items i own them and i should have the right to pack them and take them with me mm-hmm. and i like just listening to your story oh i'm so disgusted by this man and men who are like him and there's so many men who are like him so many too many in our gambian community and worst of all also is the in-law and let this be a cautionary tale to all the women out there in our gambian community who are married to gambian men and they're spending all their time and money and energy trying to please these in-laws because let me tell you something my sister tomorrow elika sibir when that man decides that he wants nothing to do with you dinga xamne ñi duñ gor they will not stand for you they will not support you and all that time energy and money you've invested in them has gone to waste jellen sen khalis ngeen invest ko sen bopa save for yourself save for your children mm-hmm. save for your future invest in buying properties and homes and assets instead of ngeen neka di jell sen khalis dama yobu suma mother in law maka dama ko jindal peace dama ko yobu dubai lolu ligey doomam la nako ko doomam defal yow dama nga defal ko sa nday 
I'm so sorry. Like, this has just evoked so many emotions in me. And I feel for you. But at the same time, I'm so happy to hear that you mm-hmm. had such a supportive and loving family. And you kept naming your dad. And alhamdulillah mm-hmm. for fathers like the one you have. Because your dad yeah. stood by you. Your dad was there to counsel you. Your dad was there mm-hmm. to support you and let you know that you're going to be okay. And your his home was open to you to return back. Because unfortunately, there are mm-hmm. stories where mm-hmm. stories where stories where stories So alhamdulillah that you had that loving home that you could go to at the end of the day. Yeah. And worst of all, not only was it the betrayal from your husband, but also the betrayal from your in-laws. And I'm so happy you mm-hmm. survived that and you're able to narrate the story for us today. And hopefully our audience who's listening will pick up some, some lessons that they can learn from to make sure they also don't repeat the same mistakes. Dr. Nafi, I pass it on to you, please, because my, my heart is pounding right now. Uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad you were able to take that over because, girl, I had to compose myself, not only from a woman to woman, but this is my cousin, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so to me... It goes even deeper to hear her turmoil, you know? And wow, wow. All I can say is that God loves you for getting you out of this relationship, Sadie. God loves you for not having you have a child with that douchebag. That's all I'm saying. Sometimes we don't see the blessing in, in things that go yeah. wrong, right? But this truly is a blessing for you. And mark, mark my words, as you go on to be the better, fabulous woman that you are, you know he's going to try to come crawling back. Mark my <laughs> words, they always do. They always do. These, these dirtbags always find a way or to make you feel bad or try to have a hold on you and say, well, you're going to be nobody without me. Well, you know what? Bye. Actually, yeah. You don't um, need the man. He used to tell so me that. You, you're going to be um, you're, without man, them fem. Like, like how 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 can that be possible like i am financially financially independent i don't depend on you for anything so how can my life be miserable mm-hmm. when you're not in my life in fact it made you wonder at the beginning yeah at the beginning it was i wouldn't lie it was because mm-hmm. i was shocked mm-hmm. i had to deal with the shock i have to deal with the mm-hmm. anger and then i have to stand in the mirror accept the fact that it has happened and i need to move on Mm-hmm. For me and my son. Mm-hmm. And alhamdulillah, I thank God that I have a very supportive mm-hmm. um, family. My mom, my dad, my siblings, Dr. Nafi, you, you were there. Um, a lot of people, you know. And it really, really meant oh. a lot to me. But the thing is, I am happier today. I am more recognized today without him. I am doing financially better without mm-hmm. him. And I am taking okay, care God. of my son as a single mother right. and he's not lacking anything. So what's the point of saying without Mando survive? Hell no. 
Girl, you know what? We need to have you. We need people to hear your story because we all think that staying married at all costs is what we is what we need to do. It's not. We got to think about ourselves. And your story is so inspirational. Like I'm so inspired by you. You know, you might not see it, but just when people hear your story, there's a lot of takeaways from it. You know, and here you are. You're a single mom. You're not married. But I can see it in your face. You look so much happier. You're more bouncy. I mean, I haven't seen exactly. you like this in a long I time. Happy. I am um my state of mind you... is perfect. Um there is no stress. Let me tell you, nothing. I I used to be really No stress. Stressed. I would um I would go to work, come back to the house. Yeah? I won't even take off my um my clothes, my walking clothes. I am at the kitchen cooking, cooking dinner. I will wake mm. up in the morning, cook breakfast. He has never gone to work without eating freshly made breakfast. I will come back to the house after work and cook dinner every day, Monday to Sunday. It was a big compound. Um, my turn used to be Friday, Saturday. I will cook lunch. I will, like I will cook breakfast, mm, mm. go to work, come back, cook lunch, cook dinner. There was nothing that I did not do to satisfy this guy, but it's just I. For now, I say to myself, I will never compromise myself again, like I did mm-hmm. in the name of marriage. Amen. Never, never, because yeah, sometimes. We we feel like we feel blinded because we're in love, girl. It's, it's <laughs> and um, I wasn't um, traveling when I was married because he doesn't like the traveling part. So I was always declining it, and my bosses were always angry at me because of that. But hey, girl, I am not rejecting anything again. Wow, good for you. Good for you, Stanley. Good for Stanley, you. Um, I would like to now, if you don't mind, just um, turn the attention to the adoption part because I feel like that's the part um, that is so joyous in this. And if you could share with us, yeah. what was it that made you decide that you wanted to adopt? And was there a conversation you had with your husband at the time about adopting? Was he supportive or was this something you decided to do on your own? And how is it, how has it been being a parent now? <laughs> um, I have thought of adopting like um, since 2017. So I spoke to someone very close about it. And mm-hmm. What she advised me was to wait a bit and try more. It was. It didn't mean that I was giving up on trying to conceive. No, I just wanted to um, adopt a child. But um, yeah, I, I I took her advice and I said, okay, let me give it one more. Um, let me give it one year, and see if anything would happen. So my my son came to me, um, out of the blue. <laughs> um, a friend of mine called me, um, in. September 2019, explaining to me that um, there is this young girl who is um, currently pregnant, but um, they're giving the, the child away for adoption at the orphanage. Do you understand? So she said, since you have a foundation, why don't you try and see 
if you can um, talk to people about it, if they're interested, then they can adopt the child instead of um, um, the child being um, at the orphanage. And I was like, yeah, okay, no problem. I'll, I'll spread the word out. So, and I did. I put it on um, fertility support group, telling them that, hey, um, this is what's happening. If you are interested, you can inbox me. Yeah? So, because Gambians don't really... Um, they're not, I don't know if the lack of education or when it comes to adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, so no one was coming up. Mm-hmm. Then I said to myself, okay, if no one is coming up, what should I do? There, was, um, there were so many things on my head. But the mother of the girl, the mother of the girl said to my friend, I want her to take this child. She said she wants me, even she has never seen me before. <laughs> She's never seen me. Um, she said, I want the, um, the woman that's running the foundation to take her, to take the child when, when, um, when he's born. My friend came back to tell me, you know, the girl said um, she wants you to take the, the, um, the child when, when the child is born. And I'm like, why? And he said, she, she said, um, <laughs> for some reason, she is more comfortable with you taking the child. I'm like, well, I am not ready for that yet. Even though I had it at the back of my mind, but mm-hmm. I am not ready for that yet. But let me, um, let me think about it. So I thought about it for a couple of days and um, spoke to my um, ex-husband about it, that oh, this is what I want to do, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, um, and he was like, okay, if that is what you want to do, no problem. And I said, I went back to the girl and told her, okay, no problem. So, yeah, um, she got a baby. The baby came in um, February 29. Yeah, um, and then I mm-hmm. took the baby a week after. Yeah, that was how oh. my son came to me. And so you, you had to do yes. some kind so of a I paperwork? Started, um, I started the paperwork when the baby was done, when the baby was born, went to um, social welfare, started the paperwork, and then that was why I took the baby a week after, because I didn't want to take the baby before not starting the, the, the process, the adoption process. So, yeah, so that was why I took mm-hmm. the baby um, a week after, when, I, when all the paperwork was um, submitted. And it has been... It has changed my life. Having my son changed my life. Um, when I think about it, I get emotional. But everything in me changed when, when, when I had my son. Mm-hmm. Everything in me, the way I think is centered around my son. Whatever I do, I consider my son mm-hmm. in, um, in that decision. And looking at him, gives me joy hmm. I am I can hmm. say alhamdulillah okay wow. no one is gonna say oh mom I'm a good dom better you know and oh. it adds flesh hmm. to my um skin when people say dom is <laughs> in 
yeah it's <laughs> it's a feeling on another level so yeah um yeah and i try mm. to encourage people yeah. to go in for adoption because it will change your life as a person um it will change the way you see life it shouldn't stop you from trying to conceive adopting shouldn't stop you from trying to conceive actually some people try to conceive and adopt mm-hmm. and then they um and the the baby comes you know that right yeah so it's we mm-hmm. need to when it comes to adoption mm-hmm. we need to be more open minded regarding it there's nothing wrong with it there's there should uh, nothing should be wrong mm-hmm. with it people shouldn't see it in a negative way that um um so adopt like you you give up na sisa sisa try for adopt no it should not be like that Mm-hmm. Um, if wow. you're trying to conceive, you can adopt a dom. You understand? The feeling is like, man, the way, um, um, the way I feel about my son, even mm-hmm. I don't think I would love him more than my son. I will love them equally. So mm-hmm. there is no hush-hush mm-hmm. regarding it. Mm-hmm. Man, man, I am I am open to adoption and I I encourage everyone you know to to think about it and and mm-hmm. then go for it. Wow. Thank you so much Saini for sharing that because I think a lot of times especially in the Gambian community we don't look at adoption as an option. It's like either you mm-hmm. can have yeah. a child or you can't. But Um, mm-hmm. just because you don't birth a child doesn't mean exactly. that you can't be a mother. So I, I right. think your story definitely shows us that uh, family is not defined by our genes, but that it's built mm-hmm. and maintained through love. And the love that you have for mm-hmm. your child that you're expressing today, and you're saying even when you get the chance to be blessed with having your own biological child, you will not love that child more than you love the child you have today. And I think that speaks mm-hmm. volumes because adoption is not a call to have the perfect rosy family, but instead it's a call to give love and mercy and patience to a child who otherwise might not have gotten that. So I hope to our mm-hmm. listeners that they, they really hear your story. And I feel like your story has come full circle from being in a marriage where you weren't supported when you were trying to go through your, your journey to conceive to ending up having to adopt your own child and now living a fulfilling life with the love of your child and all the love that you have in you that you can pour into him and vice versa. It's such a beautiful ending to a story that really was very disturbing hearing and, and, mm-hmm. and, and listening to it. So thank you so much for your vulnerability. Thank you so much for being so open and transparent. And I truly hope that our listeners will will take some lessons learned and and walk away with some gems because you shared a lot of them. Dr. Nafi, I'll pass it over to you so that you can wrap us up. You couldn't have said it any better. I mean, girl, thank you so much, Saini, for sharing your story. We truly appreciate it. And oh, I'm in awe of you. I really am. I'm so proud of this woman here. I can't I can't say enough. So thank you so much and for coming you, and sharing And thank you, ladies, for story. having me. Um, It was really an honor to be on your platform and talk about my story. Thank you so much. And you're doing a very good job. Um, keep it up. <laughs> keep it up. Thank you so much for having me.
Thank you. Thank you, listeners. All right. Till next time.